Hey everyone, it's David here. Our schedule was thrown off a little bit because of the tributes to Walter Hooper, but we didn't want to leave you an entire week without a letter from Uncle Screwtape, which is why this episode is posting on a Wednesday. In today's episode, we had Dr. Crystal Hurd on the show to talk about one of Screwtape's letters. Unfortunately, the audio, we had some issues. It's not that great, but it is understandable and the content is fantastic. And Matt and I have said that we want to get Crystal on the show again uh, at some point in the future. And I promise you, when we do, we will make sure that the audio quality is top-notch. But anyway, without further ado, this is Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 28. The Screwtape Letters. Letter number 14. Humble in Kind. Welcome, everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast where David, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we are eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our spiritual lives. But this is going to be different. Andrew and David are not with me. I have a special co-host, and this was an individual that I had met on the C.S. Lewis Symposium uh, retreat in Montreat last year, and it is Dr. Crystal Hurd. Dr. Crystal Hurd is an educator and researcher from Virginia, where she lives with her husband and three dogs. Over the past decade, she has read and researched both biographical and rhetorical aspects of C.S. Lewis. Her dissertation, Applied Transformational Leadership Theory to His Life and Works. She's currently working on a book titled The Leadership of C.S. Lewis, which will be published in 2021 by Winged Lion Press. Additionally, she is in the 20 she is the 2020 recipient of the Clyde S. Kilby Research Grant awarded by the Marion E. Wade Center at Wheaton College. Her research will be developed into a book exploring the artistic influences of Lewis's parents and grandparents, titled Bookish Clever People. Crystal, welcome to Pints with Jack. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm so excited for this, but is is I was doing some research on the bio and even getting to know you. Obviously, I've met you before, but just diving into your knowledge and your scholarship and learning about your dissertation and the book you're writing, I almost feel disappointed that this is just a co-hosting where we're going through letter 14. And and I'm thinking to myself, all right, we are going to be doing an after hours here soon because I want to hear a lot more about your dissertation in this upcoming book. Oh, I would love to. Yeah. Like I said, this is is so much fun. Um, And I would love to talk more about it. Uh, like I said, it's been about eight years since I graduated. So I think it's time to go ahead and uh, green light the book. <laughs> Give me a while. <laughs> well, is it looking, so 2021, is it looking the first half or second half? It'll probably be about the middle of the year. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's due early. It's due early in the year. And uh, then I have to go through all the, you know, editing and stuff. So it should be about the middle of the year, hopefully. I love it. Well, we'll have to make sure in the run-up to when that's released, we have you on specifically for that book so we can dive into it and you can share and uh, excite the listeners before it goes on sale. Awesome. Sounds great. I would, like I said, I, love, I enjoy talking about Jack. I I think I, uh, I'm i one of those people that are like, don't talk to her about C.S. Lewis. She'll never hush. So. 
will never stop talking. Um, so any any chance that I get to talk to uh, fellow uh, Narnians is a joy for me. Oh, I love it. Well, we're going to have fun then today. But before we dive into it, we have a few housekeeping items. And so listeners, we have the song of the week. Uh, and so we're naming each of the screw tape letters after a song. And so since humility is the central topic of today's letter, uh, David told me that he was tempted to name today's episode after the Carly Simon song, You're So Vain. And he said he thought it was perfect, particularly since she wrote the song about him, is what he claims. But I, I don't know. I can, I can see that as his co-host, to be honest. But because, what he did say, though, is because since you are a Virginian native, he chose the Tim McGraw song, Humbled in, Humble and Kind. You know, which which I kind of like the Euro Sylvain ring a little bit better, but <laughs> Humble and Kind is a great song. Are you, by the way, a uh, fan of country music at all? Well, interestingly, no. I'm, <laughs> so I'm David not, missed the mark on um, this one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm actually, uh, the city I'm from is actually uh, the birthplace of country music. Um, wow. uh, is it? Yeah, we have a museum here and everything. The Carters uh, recorded the first country music song here in the 20s or 30s. Um, so we're technically the birthplace of country music, which which, um, for some reason, I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan at all of country music. Um, I like deep house music uh, and like techno music. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so unfortunately, I mean, but, but I like Tim McGraw. My husband is a huge country music fan. So, but you know, it's just part of the marital compromise. You might when you <laughs> are both listening to XM radio on the way to work. And <laughs> so, the marital compromise. That's a great way to phrase so. it. I don't know yet. David's learning about it as we speak. He's in his first year of oh. marriage. Oh yes. Yes. And congratulations to him, by the way. I'm excited, excited for him. I've been married 20 years actually this year. So Aww. congrats yeah. on that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's a, uh, um, it's, it's awesome. And our, both of our parents are still married. Um, oh, and so we had, we had great, uh, godly role models for our relationships. I'm reading, I'm reading that Tim Keller book, the meaning of marriage right now. So despite not being married myself, I'm trying to uh, learn <laughs> a little bit more what it's like. Well, that's good. I mean, that's good. Um, because it, it does involve a lot more, uh, than just, you know, living together and, making pork chops and washing socks like (laughs) (laughs) you know there's a whole lot of things and thankfully you know both of us sort of had conversations before we were married about you know our goals and um and he was always really uh, and and still is very supportive of me and I'm very supportive of him so it's um to me like that that marriage um and Lewis talks about marriage a lot you know in mere Christianity but I feel like that that is sort of the the great thing about marriage um is sort of finding an ally and a best friend and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, someone that, you know, that can speak truth into your life um, when you need it. And, you know, it's, in it, marriage is wonderful. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for David and would love to hear, hear how it's going. <laughs> well, he found, I will say this, he found a fantastic one. Marie is uh, incredible, just a beautiful person and really understands who David is in his personality and just they're such a great fit. Mm. Well, um, you know, I, I do some work with the romantic theology uh, degree at Northwind and uh, we've been talking about uh, Christian marriage um, and the idea of romantic theology. Yeah. Um, 
And and when you really start reading into, and that's more of a Charles Williams idea, but um, when you start reading into it, it's it's uh, it's a really great treat treatise on um, you know about marriage being a reflection of your relationship with God. Um, mm. And I think when you frame your relationship as something spiritual, it it alters you know the whole the whole essence of your relationship and gives it a whole new meaning. It's beautiful to think about, and I'm so and it's great, and I'm so glad that you're reading up on it because you know <laughs> your your future wife will appreciate it, I'm sure. Well, hopefully, too, this letter itself will help because I would imagine humility <laughs> is probably the number one thing you can bring into marriage. So, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, yes, and we, yes, humility is, uh, yeah, it's it's a huge important, hugely important, I think, um, and necessary um, to be a, a de- decent human. But to be, I think, a Christian um, is, is very important to understand that it's not about you. And thank goodness it's not about you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> takes the pressure off. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, how about I do the let's move to the quote of the week, which I have two here because I just, you know, there's I underlined practically this entire chapter. So I couldn't. It was really hard to choose stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so these are both from this letter. The first one, your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to the fact? All virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them. But this is especially true of humility. And then I chose, by this virtue of humility, as by all the others, our enemy wants to turn the man's attention away from self to him, capital H, into the man's neighbor. I think those would be really good guiding lights as we go through this. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And that's, that's such a guiding principle for Lewis, right? Is um, he, he mentions it in so many of his works in some form or fashion that um, the point is not you, the point is him. And yep. uh, turning ourselves, turning away from ourselves toward others and toward God is essential um, in understanding Christ and understanding our role in, in life. That's exactly right. And then for the drink of the week listeners, I have a Rock Island blended malt scotch. Crystal, do you are you drinking anything? I see you sipping on something right now. Herbal tea. Love it. <laughs> David would approve. David would approve. <laughs> yes, herbal tea. So I'll keep this one shorter, but listeners, it's interesting. It's a blended scotch and it's the lightest I have ever seen. It's usually scotches are very amber. And on the nose, it's it's a light peat, and they actually describe it as like a coastal peat. And it definitely has a, a salinity finish. The notes talk about, and you can taste that in a peppery hint in your back of your throat. I actually really like this. For a blended scotch, I'd highly recommend it. So this is what I will be sipping on. And so for our Patreon toast, we don't have any specific gold level, level Patreons that we're toasting this week. But what I would like to do is raise this glass to all our Patreon supporters, and specifically those that are part of the Slackers community as it's starting to become known. It's a Slack community, and David called it that once. Because David and I are in constant awe. We started that, I don't know, six, nine months ago. And we had no idea what it would turn into. And you guys have been absolutely incredible. The contributions, your prayers, the vulnerability, the sharing all these different resources. It's one of our favorite parts actually about this entire ministry. And so we thank you guys so much for that. And we appreciate every single one of you. And so I'll raise a glass and toast to you guys. And then the chapter summary before we dive into this, before you get to hear Crystal and I unpack this. 
Screwtape explains how to overcome the patient's burgeoning humility, firstly by making him proud of it, and secondly by making him think that humility means thinking less of himself. God wants the patient to delight in all good things, including the patient himself, to give up self-love and discover a new kind of love. He will remind the patient that he's rarely required to declare his abilities. His talents will vary often. Everything he has is a gift from heaven in the first place. Wormwood's job is to keep such reminders out of the patient's head. So, Crystal, as we kick this off and dive into this chapter, I know you know quite a bit about humility and you have written on it and you've drawn on this chapter before in some of your work. So what, is there anything that jumps out to you in this chapter, whether it's a key theme or something that just really um, hits you? Yeah, I saw it. Um, I'd mentioned earlier that in the, I'm working on the book on, on Lewis's leadership and um, that humility is one of the key aspects uh, that Lewis himself exhibited. Um, even though he talks about he wish he was better at it. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think humility is such an important trait because we are hardwired, I think, to be selfish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, our our carnal selves, uh, we're, we're hardwired to be selfish and to be concerned. You know, in the past, I've, I've talked to people and I think hum- they, they feel like humility is absolute self-neglect, but mm-hmm. it isn't. Right. Um, Lewis mentions right off the bat that is that is not self neglect is not because as a child of God, you're important to God. Right. And so in in neglecting the self, you are neglecting something God created. And that's not what he wants. He doesn't want you to live in, in guilt and shame um, of, of the fact that we're fallen because we're all fallen. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love about this letter is um, it um, encourages a self-awareness without uh, leaning towards arrogance or leading towards negligence, right? Um, we are sort of perfectly situated in the middle where we're aware of ourselves, um, but we're also aware of ourselves in Christ. Mm-hmm. And that shifts everything. And understanding humility is is understanding that we're, like I said, we're, we are not the center of the universe. Thank goodness. <laughs> we're not the, <laughs> the center pressure's of the universe. off. <laughs> you know, uh, which is something he mentions, you know, uh, throughout and other other places as well. So, yeah, uh, I love I love that second quote, the fact that, yes, we have talents and yes, yes, we're given all these things, but they're all gifts. Um, and we should give credit to the to the creator right, and not take any credit for it. Well, and we're going to get to there's gonna be a quote a little bit later that reminds me exactly what you're saying. He says, the enemy wants him in the end to be so free from any bias in his own favor that he can rejoice in his own talents as frankly and gratefully as in his neighbor's talents or in a sunrise, an elephant or a waterfall. I think that sums up what you're talking about. It's it's not that self-effacing. It's not trying to, to put yourself down. It's just rejoicing in truth and beauty, no matter where it comes from, whether it's you, whether it's someone else. It's just recognizing that goodness in creation of us and others and creation itself and just rejoicing no matter what. And what a hard place to get to because you're right, we're hardwired to be self-centered. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And I, I don't mean that in a, in a negative way, but, um, you know, Wormwood is throughout this entire, you know, collection is, is encouraging selfishness. Yes. You know, it's the entire time is, you know, understanding God's, uh, psychology so that you can 
you know, so that you can use it in opposition to yeah. God. Right. Um, and so um, saying, well, we need to, we, you know, it's interesting because even in this letter, he mentions make him think about himself even in a negative way. Right. Because even when he's thinking negatively about himself, he's still thinking about himself. Yes. <laughs> I made a note in that exact spot that I can't remember the name of the book. It's killing me. It was about five or six years ago. I read it and they talked about how it was it was about self-centeredness from a Christian spiritual perspective. But self-hatred, self-pity are all still self-centered. Because usually you do think of it as a prideful arrogance of uplifting, like I'm boasting myself to be better than mm-hmm. others. But self-pity and self-negativity is still self-centered. And I was like, wow, right. that is so true. Because you're right. still just thinking about yourself. Right, right. And um, and that's what the beautiful thing about it, right? In humility, you can relinquish all of that and just yes. say, I'm... Um, you know, and I think, you know, God wants us to live in, in you know, and Lewis talks about this too in various places, but, um, you know, in uh, Surprised by Joy, he talks about when he finally gave up, you know, and, and gave in to God, right? Um, that he, you know, he, he kind of attributes it to, you know, like being, throwing off all the, all the bad stuff, all, mm-hmm. <laughs> throwing off the, uh, you know, throwing off all of the selfishness and it was a freedom. There was a liberation and letting go of all that and understanding that this is, this is my, this is just myself and I don't have to deal with that. You know, Um, I gave it all up. Um, And that's a beautiful thing to think about. What's so beautiful that Lewis, where you get, because we were, we were just making a comment earlier of how we're naturally self-centered. And it can be very easy sometimes when you start to understand our humanity to, to mm-hmm. honestly lose some hope and get in a state of despair. Like, man, I am just mm-hmm. really a bad, messed up person. But I was just listening today. We're recording this much earlier. So listeners who are listening to this, this is going to be released in January. Um, in the beginning of December, we had an after hours interview with uh, Callistos Ware, Metropolitan Callistos Ware. And he talked about theosis from a Lewis perspective. And he made this point of just recognizing Lewis very much his theology was based on Christianity is not following a sense of a set of teachings or rules. It's a transformation where like the divinity of Christ and the Trinity come within you and transform you from the inside out. So at the same time, while we're talking about we're naturally self-centered and some of these things are tough and pride's going to come in. We're going to see this in this chapter and screw tape's trying to do everything. When you realize and invite Christ into you and allow him to transform you, there's an insane amount of hope in there because it's exactly what you Mm -hmm. just said. It's like when Lewis puts his hand up and say, yeah, you know what? I am probably not going to will myself to um, humility. It's just not going to happen. But if I create the space for Christ to come within me and for that spiritual transformation to happen and that that divinization, the divine life, as he talks about, that's when you have that hope that you will be transformed in a way that you do actually become humble. And so Lewis does give us like the most beautiful antidote to all of our struggles. <laughs> and it's Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about the incarnation, right, um, and the importance of the incarnation, if you are continually uh, discouraging yourself, then in a way you are kind of discouraging that part of you that is God, you know, that is God, mm-hmm. that is God incarnate. And, it, and, and that can leave you hopeless if you if you don't understand or, or feel that, you know, and I think a lot of us in our Christian journeys, I know I have, um, you know, I've, I've lived, you know, to several things like the purity movement and stuff and um, understanding that, like, feeling bad about being human doesn't really lead you anywhere no. <laughs> other it leads than to shame. <laughs> more, right, right, more discouragement. Yeah. And, but if you if you start to understand 
like this is how God loves me and this is how God looks on me. Yes, I'm a flawed person, you know, it, but but God loves me despite all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I should have some grace and love myself, you know, as much as God loves me, but not too much because then, <laughs> <laughs> then, you, then you, you, you know, you get into the realm of arrogance, right? But like, yeah, I mean, that balance, that moderation and that sort of understanding that we're kind of in two worlds, we're part spirit and part flesh. And so that, that tug, that pull and tug is constantly there um, for us, which Lewis sort of talks about some in this letter, actually. Way to absolutely perfectly transition me into kicking us <laughs> off, kind of like the first section of this letter, because as a reminder, listeners, our patient has just gone through, as we think through where the patient is at, because I love how Lewis has his patient going through, honestly, a spiritual journey. So we remember, it starts with a spiritual high. And then he comes down a mountain and then he goes to the law of undulation and we talked about that in letter eight and nine, which is a few letters ago. And it's a trough period. And he's starting to come through this to the other side. And so if you listen back to letter eight and nine, when David did it, that's when he's in the thick of like, honestly, this despair, feeling down exactly as, as Crystal just said, because he's flesh and spirit, the flesh part goes through these undulations and you are going to go mm-hmm. through trough periods and he's coming through it. And he's now gotten to this beautiful point where he's realized his vulnerability and his weakness and temptations, which is somewhat what the trough period really is helpful for, realizing that. And so Screwtape is quite concerned. So I wanted to, to set that stage because listen to this just beginning quote. It just hits. The patient is making none of those confident resolutions which marked his original conversion. No more lavish promises of perpetual virtue, but only a hope for the daily and hourly pittance to meet the daily and hourly temptation. This is very bad. <laughs> I mean, isn't that, that's amazing. The patient's got this beautiful state where he just went through this rough period and realized how weak he really is and he needs God's grace. And through God's grace, as we've been talking about earlier with Theos, is probably experiencing some of that transformation. And that is dangerous for screw tape. And so that just packs a punch right from the beginning. You know, we talk about when in early in our um, con- you know call- conversion experiences, you know, there's always this high, and then um, as you start through the trials of your faith um, and sort of confronting a lot of uh, ambiguities and a lot of you know inconsistencies and a lot of you know, then you you grow. You know, um, I don't know if you've read Dark Night of the Soul um, by Saint John, but like um, I'm very familiar with. That, it. I've read parts of it. Yeah, that. His argument is almost like we it's a requirement for you to have that dark night of the soul, because then you understand how dependent and reliant you are on God. But and you have to get to that point uh, sort of in your faith to understand, you know, your dependency on God and the importance of God as, you know, an omnipotent being. And you are just a you know, <laughs> yep. you're just a. Yeah, not that I'm saying, oh, you're just this little speck uh, you know, on the on the radar. But um, but you know, understanding the sovereignty of God and reconciling it with our our flesh and our you know carnality or whatever. It's it's uh, it's so interesting and and recognizing that I think is important. I think you go through those that daily struggle. Yep, is part of the faith. You know, even and even Lewis says, you know, if you want an easy life, don't don't choose Christianity. Yeah, you know, um, it's not easy at all. 
That's why I love when we say to our Father, give us today our daily bread. Now imagine getting to that point where you wake up every morning and it's honestly like the people who go through AA recognize one day at a time, my daily bread. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a powerful metaphor. I yeah. COVID, COVID woke me up to that because COVID hit many people hard into myself mm-hmm. spiritually as well. And I remember when I went to the first confession mm-hmm. after COVID and just like feeling really down and crappy because I was like, man, I'm just a weak person. And the priest goes, what a gift. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? This is not a gift. (laughs) (laughs) Not in the slightest. Um, And he goes, but you recognize your dependency on God's grace. And I was like, huh, yeah. And so then I was talking to David on our last recording we were doing together. And I was like, well, there's one thing that I can say for sure as I've gone through this COVID period and it's hit me hard spiritually is um, it's taught me to be a lot more humble. And he and he, we both started dying laughing though because he goes, "Well, there's Satan, <laughs> there's screw tape." <laughs> uh, oh yeah, and you know, I I struggled earlier this year after, um, you know, after George Floyd um, because yep. there was a lot of division about you know equality in this country, and you know, and and it was just so simple for me. It's like, love everybody, love everybody, you know, um, no matter what, because all of us are fallen and all of, you know, um, and it was, it was, I had a hard time saying I love my neighbor, even if my neighbor doesn't agree with me on black lives matter or agree with me on COVID or whatever. Like it, it was, it was instructional for me, you know, because God says there is no, you know, when, when I say love everyone, you love everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is, there is no, uh, you know, no prerequisite. No, you know, um, you have to love everybody. That is the commandment. Yep. Right. Uh, and that, that humbled me a whole lot because I thought, Oh, this is you know, this love and everything. It's, you love everybody. It's you know pretty easy, you know? And then uh-huh. when they say things that you don't agree with, you're like, Hmm, you know, <laughs> so we have to learn, I think, and all of us have this year in in social discourse, we have to learn to say, I, Yes, but I and I still love you. Yep, and that's one of my one of my favorite movies is on Golden Pond, and I love the scene where the grandmother to this it's not her grandson, but it will be uh, once she marries his dad, um, her daughter does. But anyways, she says sometimes you just have to look at a person and understand they're doing the best they can. That's just it's such simple comment, but you know what? I think every day some some people are struggling to wake up. People are tired. People are angry. They're hurting. They're wounded, and it's like everyone is just trying to do the best they can. Exactly. And that's honestly reminding yourself of that helps you love a person a lot mm-hmm. more. It does. It really does. And understanding yep. that we're all on journeys, and we're all at different we're all at different chapters of our lives. So understanding somebody who's in chapter three is going to be different than chapter 30 and, and understanding and having, you know, the grace and the love that is agape that, you know, that God loves us through all of that. And he's patient with us um, in in our journeys. And so, so with God as our role model, right. Um, We should be patient with one another um, Mm -hmm. in our, in our own struggles, but this has been a year full of struggles. You know, and I think all of us have have, you know, discovered new aspects of our faith and our relationships to one another this year. That's exactly right. Coming back to the letter here a bit. So we have this we're in this spot right now of the patient who has come through this trough period, really has gotten to what we what you and I have been talking about here of this daily bread. And it's a dangerous spot. And so here's what Screwtape says. And I love this. Your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to the fact So here we go for the quote of the week. 
All virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them. But this is especially true of humility. Catch him at the moment when he is really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind a gratifying reflection. By Jove, I'm being humble. (laughs) And almost immediately, pride. Pride in his own humility will appear. That's, I don't know how many times I remember I was reading the chapter on pride uh, in Mere Christianity 2011. Mm -hmm. So I'm a junior in college and I was overcoming a sin and a vice and I did it for the wrong reasons and I became arrogant that I overcame it. And I remember reading that chapter and I was like, dang it. (laughs) It's amazing how... (laughs) It's amazing how Andrew's Andrew's a big person on, he, he speaks about this on this podcast from time to time, that Satan loves to horse trade. I think I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. Where, oh, you want to get rid of, you want to have humility? Well, perfect. Give me that and I'll give you pride back. Like he, mm-hmm. he'll take one thing and he'll give you another. And mm-hmm. I'm just amazed by that. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, I was mentioned in the purity movement and, um, you know, I was in the nineties, I was coming of age uh, when the purity movement happened. And you know, it was it was interesting because I was like, you know, I'm going to wait till marriage. But then I realized later on that I was being self-righteous yep. um, towards people who had not waited. And that was a sin for me, you know, yep. to be judging people and saying, well, you didn't wait or, you know, um, you know, and it was at the time I didn't realize because I was just like patting myself on the back, like, good job, Crystal, you waited. And, you uh-huh. you know, and then you, know, you realize later, like, that was really that was not, you know, I was letting pride grow unchecked because I thought I was, you know, because I was like, oh, chastity, you know, and, and, and following God's word on, you know, how to handle my sexuality. But in the same time, I was letting pride and arrogance grow unchecked. Um, And, you know, Lewis says that is the worst of all the sins is pride. James Como's book, uh, he has an interview there where an individual said, that he had spoken with Lewis one day and he said, it always seemed to me a great pity. He did not preach more often until I learned the reason for this reluctance to do this. He told me one day that after he had delivered a sermon and had received the kind words and the congratulations of all and sundry, as always happened when he spoke in public, he began to think what a jolly fine and clever fellow Jack Lewis was and, and said he had to get on his knees pretty quick to kill the deadly sin of pride. Um, And that's Lewis himself. Right. Talking about having to smother, you know, those impulses. That hits you big time. The fact that Lewis himself, I'm trying to think of all the moments that I've felt pride. And and I actually, even as you say that, it makes me think, what is that balance between doing things? Because I would imagine in Lewis's circumstances, speaking was a beautiful thing for ministering and witnessing to Mm -hmm. people. But at the same time, if his own salvation, his own soul and his own heart are in jeopardy, he's not going to be in the future a very good minister. And so there's that that balancing act of, you know, you can do, there's lots of things in my life I do and you give, give talks or even on these podcasts, Mm -hmm. you get good reviews and you you feel a sense of pride, but you're, it's like, well, do you shut down what you're doing fully? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because there's some good coming of it. And it is, it's a tough balancing act to be honest. I'm, I'm impressed that Lewis was just like, I just can't do this. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, but you know, thank goodness he, he realizes it. I, I was trying to think of uh, one of the great Christian poets is uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, yes. um, who who wrote you know some great stuff, uh, Kingfishers Catch Fire and God's Grandeur. And um, biographically, a lot of people don't know this, but he actually stopped writing poetry for a while because he felt like his love of the poetry was rivaling his love for God, or that by writing all this good poetry and having people 
you know, commend him for it, that it was sinful. So there was, there was a a time, a period of time where he just stopped writing, you know, because even though he was good at it, because he felt that it was, uh, it was encouraging him to be prideful. And and it's a shame because we would have a lot more poetry, Uh (laughs) you know, uh, he didn't realize at the time how encouraging his words would be to people generations later. Well, and it's a good thing too. He didn't get stuffed up with, uh, as we see in this letter, screw tape second technique, because when you recognize what Lewis did and what Gerard were like, you know what? I can't do this. My pride's coming and you squash it. I love that. Mm-hmm. Then screw tape says, all right, well, you know what? We're going to do attempt number two. We're going to let them recognize that they're squashing it. And that might work. And they might gain pride in their ability to suppress the first pride. And I love that. He essentially, it's, mm-hmm. It reminds me of like lather, rinse, repeat. And I love that. He says, do that. But don't do it. But don't do it too long, because eventually we might actually catch on and start laughing at it. Which goes back to the very beginning this of Screw Tape, where he had two. This is where Dave is always helpful because he remembers <laughs> these things. I, I remember eighty percent of stuff, but I believe there's like two quotes in the beginning where it says "defeat Satan with laughter" and then "defeat Satan with um, humor" or uh, with mm-hmm. scripture. If you can't do it with scripture, do it with laughter or something like that. And. Uh, I think that's so true. The more Satan does this, screw tape will try to keep you going over and over of like, oh, I'm humble. And then I'm humble and you do the pride. Oh, I got to squash this. Oh, well, good thing I squashed it. And he'll keep trying to bring it. But eventually <laughs> you get to a point where you just laugh and you go, oh, clearly that's happening again. <laughs> yeah. And then being prideful that you squashed it. Right? <laughs> uh-huh. Yay, I squashed it. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, and Lewis talks about that. Um, there's other places too where he talks about it. But, um, you know, he says, uh, you know, the transition from, uh, and, and he says, you know, that, that doing something and getting, you know, getting pleasure from helping other people is not a sin in itself. It's when you go from, oh, I'm so glad that they enjoyed that to, wow, I'm a really great person. <laughs> that leap and understanding, you cutting that person out and just focusing on yourself, that's where we get into deep waters, right? Um, with humility when we start being like, well, I am a swell individual. <laughs> Which gets back to what you mentioned in the beginning. It's essentially like everything of, of screw tape, but also in this, it's, it's turning away from yourself to the other. And so when, as long as your pleasure is not turning to yourself, but turning towards the other, I'm delighting in the fact that this person is, is happy and delighting. That's okay because you're focusing right. on them. But the second goes, I'm delighting in, well, I'm a good person. Boom, it's back to you. So like, that's like the litmus test. Is it going outward mm-hmm. or is it coming inward? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's pretend that the patients, as, as the screw tape writes, let's say they figure this out and they catch on to this. They're laughing, humorous, they get it. They, they see screw tape's tricks. As we all know, in every one of these chapters, screw tape has plenty of other options at his tool that he is going to use. So, Screwtape then says, let's get him to misunderstand what humility is as he tries to be humble. And so here's what he says. Conceal from the patient the true end of humility. Let him think of it not as self-forgetfulness, but as a certain kind of opinion, namely a low opinion of his own talents and character. And so he's shifting from, we have it at first, it's, it's, he's feeling humble, let's get him to realize it and be prideful. And then it's, all right, well, 
that's not working because he squashed the pride. Well, let's give him pride in his ability to squash the pride. Now it's like, all right, well, let's get him to misunderstand humility. Let's get him to think that it's thinking less of himself, which we talked about in the very beginning of this. Mm-hmm. That isn't humility. That's honestly, that's that's a negative opinion of a beautiful part of God's creation, as, as you said. Right. Yeah. And humility is, is an opposition um, to pride. And as you mentioned, uh, there is a there is a chapter in mere Christianity called the great sin. Yep. Um, and the great sin is pride. That yep. is that is the worst sin. And uh, and then he argues, I think, uh, very adroitly and wisely that humility is the only way we can combat that, that we have to have a recognition about what we're doing or how we're hurting people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and, and understand that, you know, and I think, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to people, and I think most people, you know, want to believe, well, I'm a pretty decent person. I'm a good human being, you know, um, and we do, we want to, we want to do that. We don't want to feel like we're, you know, dumpster fire people, you know, and we want to go in and be destructive and awful. Um, but, you know, I, and again, it's a moderation. It's, it's understanding, you know, I'm trying really hard to be a good person, but sometimes I fail and sometimes I offend people and sometimes I I make people angry and I need to recognize that and apologize. Um, you know, in leadership training, they talked about um, apologies is one of the one of the strongest things you can do as a leader is to apologize when you mess up um, because it takes a lot of, you know, guts. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, exactly. Um, you, you have to be transparent and that's scary because you don't, you know, uh, but being able to recognize your faults and to apologize for them um, is something that in leadership studies says that you will gain people's respect uh, mm-hmm. most of all by admitting that you messed up. Oh, I love that. I, uh, I'm a big fan <laughs> of Brene Brown and I've always enjoyed her, mm-hmm. her talks on vulnerability and they, they I've listened to them for the last few years and read some of her works and, um, Daring Greatly was one of my favorite books that she wrote. And so I I, I completely agree. And it is hard to do. Yes, it is. And I think but to, I mean, for me, when I hear people say, and, you know, as a teacher, sometimes I mess up and I'll apologize to my students. I will. I'll say, I'm sorry. I, I messed up on that. And I shouldn't have, you know, um, you know, I shouldn't have said that to you or I, you know, and I, I think it's important that they see me as a human. Um, mm-hmm. And not this infallible, you know, uh, because I'm not, I'm not infallible. I'm very fallible, (laughs) you know. Um, And I think that um, that understanding and acknowledgement of the self um, is where humility starts. Um, And that realization, that self-actualization, the realization that you are a mess. (laughs) 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 You are a mess. uh, But. Um, with God's help, and that's the key. With God's help, we can uh, become better people. Um, yep. And and I think, and Lewis makes it very clear: it, it has to be through God. Yep. You know, everything good is from God, um, and so it's it's through God that we become better people. Um, so that's why that turning away towards the self is so destructive and hazardous, mm-hmm. because that is our first step away. Uh, from God and it's understanding and seeing ourselves as God sees us and understanding our faults, I think, which really um, gains people's And Brene Brown does talk a lot about that. I've, I've seen many of her talks and she's, she's excellent. You know, she talks a lot about empathy uh, and sort of the importance of understanding and 
loving people where they are, right? Uh-huh. So it's just something we mentioned earlier. So understanding and being gracious with ourselves through our process because we're not done. None of us are, are you know, are done yet. <laughs> well, and I like I like that you said you use the phrase there, seeing ourselves through God's eyes. I think that's a helpful lens to think about this because in this next part, he talks about when we're, when we're, when we're talking about this misunderstanding humility, it's not see it's again, it's not negative thoughts towards yourself because God doesn't have a bunch of negative thoughts to yourself. It is recognizing your brokenness and your messiness. Of course, that self-awareness mm-hmm. is important. It's also recognizing the beauty in you. It's recognizing your talents, both good and bad, because is, as Lewis writes here through screw tape, when he says, fix in his mind the idea that humility consists in trying to believe those talents to be less valuable than he believes them to be. No doubt they are. But the great thing is to make him value an opinion for some quality other than truth. We have the chance of keeping their minds endlessly revolving on themselves in an effort to achieve the impossible. If you're focusing on a negative thing and you're, 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 you're doing the false humility of saying, I'm, I'm really dumb, despite the fact that you actually might not be dumb. That's just not even true. You're, you're, you're focusing on yourself in a different way. Like we were talking about, it's still self-centered. It's not even accurate. It's not the way God sees you. He's blessed. Maybe he's, I mean, obviously right. with you, he's blessed you with a gift of intelligence and wisdom. And that can be celebrated. And you have other things, as you've probably mentioned, where you're broken and screwed up as we all are in certain ways. And you've got those gifts. And so it's important to, mm-hmm. I love how Lewis points out through this chapter, like it's important to recognize that self-awareness and just seeing yourself, as you said, through the eyes that God sees you, the good and the bad and loving it both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, because perfection is perfection is non-existent. You know, perfection is is God's level. Yes. <laughs> we will we will never be there ever, but we can strive to be, you know, good and decent people. Yep. Um through through God's help. And you know, um I'm uh, I love that love that quote right there. Um because there's a there's a line in the Great Divorce that says the choice of every lost soul can be expressed in the words better to reign in hell than serve <laughs> in heaven. Um, and you know if you think about that, in, you know in regards to the great literary tradition like uh, Milton, right, is Paradise Lost. Um, you know if you if you've read parts of Paradise Lost, uh, the devil uh, or Beelzebub or whatever, you know, he falls and he says I'm twice punished. Right. Uh, in, in that uh, one, because I'm separated from God and that in itself is a punishment. Right. And then I've been kicked out of heaven, which was, you know, just a consequence of, of his sin. But being separated from God in itself was its own punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting, like to even if, you know, even though the devil was in his own domain. Right. And he was controlling everything and he, you know, he, he kind of had this new dominion. He was still sad at the fact that he was separated from God. And so I think uh, Bruce Edwards, I remember, told me once that uh, hell is incessant autobiography. <laughs> Whoa, that is incredible quote. I love, I love that. I love that. He, I can't remember if it was in an email or something he sent me or uh, in part of his, uh, he, he actually was one of the people I interviewed for my dissertation. Um, and his words are such a gift even now. Uh, and he was he was a mentor of mine. Bruce Edwards was uh, an amazing mentor of mine for many years. And mm. he, uh, you know, he said hell is incessant autobiography. It, it's a place where you're only focused on yourself. And then you realize that it's unsatisfying mm-hmm. and it's unfulfilling to be there. 
that's awful, right? And it's like it's like what what Satan says in there, like I'm twice punished. I'm I'm separated from God, and that in itself is a punishment, right? And so to be focused on the self exclusively, um, you're going to run out. You're never going to satisfy yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's it, you're going to run out. I'm sorry, am I, man, am I rambling now? No, I'm literally, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, all I'm thinking right now because of the profoundness of what you just said was, I was about to make, I was about to make a joke of, I'm pretty sure we can just end this podcast now because that was about the most true, the most wisdom I will get in this next month was hell is incessant autobiography. Like that is just incredible. I, and on all I'm literally saying, I'm, I'm like scared I'm going to miss the transition in the next section because my mind is just racing. I'm, I'm, well, no, I'm, I what I mean by that is I'm scared because my mind is racing of how impactful that's hitting me right now. Of, mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, I would probably describe yeah. myself a little bit more autobiographical in my life than I was 12 months ago. And partly because when you live on your own in a COVID world and you, you right. can't go out and see people, honestly, you don't have a lot of chances to turn outwards. At least it doesn't right. feel like it. So I'm super turned with inwards. And oh, so no, you are not. It was, that, was, yeah. that was profound. I, <laughs> well, I think a culture wants you to. You know, I think about um, all the all the things, you know, and I grew up in the 80s where if you wanted something, you bought it. You went to a store and you bought it. Mm-hmm. You bought whatever, you know, if they made it in great in the multiple colors, if they didn't have your color. You just bought whatever was there, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and now we live in a world where we are constantly uh, being catered to where where we can uh, make our playlists and order a color, order our food. Like everything is specialized. Yeah. To us right and so that that kind of sets up a whole subculture of, of selfishness uh-huh. <laughs> for lack of a better term right we 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 start to become where everything is so customized to us that that we you know kind of lose you know what it's like you know to to have the general does that make sense oh, like 100 um yeah we, like more and more we're, we're becoming a culture of of gratifying the self and um you know so it's very difficult to to think about well wow you know i'm just going to do this Uh and you know it's almost countercultural, right like jesus's message is uh, is so Uh countercultural. um he was such a rebel you know (laughs) i love it (laughs) you know we're um, rebels we need to put down our arms as lewis says (laughs) right exactly exactly that's that's the beauty of it right um the and yeah that's why i love in the in the letter later, you know, I'm gonna shut up because we're gonna talk about it later. So I'm just, I'm just gonna. <laughs> no, I love it. Well, I'm gonna we're gonna move and like I'll bring it up later. <laughs> I love it. No, it's perfect. I mean, right now we're getting we're getting into the good, we get into the good stuff right now. Of uh, uh, listeners, we're gonna turn our attention to what's we we've seen Satan's plan. We've seen his plan with trying to thwart this humility through pride and through thinking um, negatively of yourself, falsely of yourself. But what's God's plan? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to fight this? And I read this quote in the beginning, but I'll bring it up here again. The enemy wants, meaning our Heavenly Father, him in the end to be so free from any bias in his own favor that he can rejoice in his own talents as frankly and gratefully as his neighbor's talents. That's just, it deserved to be read a second time because could you imagine yeah. living in a world where, could you imagine just being able to do that? I can't. I already can say that. Um, yeah. And, and I notice, and I use this as a litmus test. I notice sometimes when someone else is doing something really great, do I feel that pride rise up into me? Is there a little mm-hmm. bit of jealousy, a little bit of envy? And there is. And I've got to like, 
squash her down really quick. Right. I'd be like, you know, that is wonderful. And sometimes I hate to say this, I have to fake it till I make it, as Lewis talks about. Yeah. And I have to be like, that is wonderful. Even though on the inside, I'm like, that is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I like your honesty, though, because we all deal with it, whether we vocalize it or not, or we tell people, like, that war is constantly going on within us all the time. You know, and it's different for different people. But Anne Lamott even talks about that, right? Like she talks about she had a writer friend that she sort of admired, but secretly envied. So every time she would, you know, call up and say, Oh, I just got this book deal or whatever, she's like, That's great, crap. You know, I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, dang it, you know. <laughs> you, you know, you've you've outdone me again, you know. Um, and so she had to sort of keep herself in check and say, well, this is, this is her, this is her level. And this is my level. This is, this is what I'm doing. This is what she's doing. Right. And, and that's okay. Like I have to be satisfied with that. And to, yeah, exactly. To be, to be, to rejoice for other people. Right. And, and genuinely feel happy that things are, um, that things are going well for them because God's plan for their life. Uh, that person's life is going to be different from, you know, what your destiny is. And the beautiful part is when, when you get there, you delight in the others. I like how Lewis's second point is, is you also have a self-love. So like you, when you're delighting in others, you can also equally delight in yourself. And so I love that he puts, right. it's his, our heavenly father's long-term policy. I fear to restore to them a new kind of self-love a charity and gratitude for all selves. So like you're saying, delight in the other person, but also for mm -hmm. yourself, because he says here, including their own. And when they have really learned to love their neighbors themselves, this is, this is a good part here, they will be allowed to love themselves as their neighbors. Yes. That's, that's just, that hits you because again, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm in that <laughs> place. Sometimes you're like, do I, do I delight in you? Do I love you? But then do also mm -hmm. do I delight in myself and love myself? It's exactly what we were talking about right. at the very beginning of this. It's, it's the both. There's a beauty to it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then Lewis himself admits um, that he struggles with it. You know, even though we, we talk and talk and talk about his generosity, his humility, we mm -hmm. talk about all these great traits he had, uh, but he, he felt still that he had a way to go. Um, to satisfy what God really had for him. Um, and it even says in the, in mere Christianity, uh, uh, that section, he says at once that, uh, let me pull it up here. He says, uh, I wish I had got a bit further with humility myself. If I had, I could probably tell you more about the relief, the comfort of taking the fancy dress off, getting rid of the false self with all its look at me and aren't I a good boy and all its posing and posturing. To get even near it, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in a desert. Yeah. Yeah. So um, to, to, to be able to, I mean, you know, and that, that again, that giving up mm -hmm. is, is a relief. It is not, you know, by, and by, you know, and scripture tells us that, right? By giving, we receive. So by giving that up um, and letting go of all that, like fancy dress, he says. And just sort of, you know, pulling out of all the world's, you know, contests and <laughs> all that stuff. By relinquishing all that, you get relief. You know, you like water to a man in a desert. Well, and that comes. And that comes to his his as 
ties in perfectly with this final third point of self-forgetfulness. So you have the delighting in others, the self-love and the self-forgetfulness. It, as you mentioned in the very beginning of this, of what almost like what a relief it is if you don't have to think about yourself so constantly and put on that mirage and that that false self. And here's what Screwtape writes about this. And I think it fits beautifully. His whole effort, therefore, will be to get the man's mind off the subject of his own value altogether. And by the way, his is referring again to our Heavenly Father. He would rather the man thought himself a great architect or a great poet and then forget about it than that he should spend mm. much time in pains trying to think himself as a bad one. Oof. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. It's so countercultural. It is. Right? It's, it's, uh, it's, to me, is what um, is so beautiful about this passage. It's the magnificence of, of letting go of being Christ-like, it leads to liberty. And Lewis talks about that. Scripture talks about that. Choosing Christ is is liberation, right? Yep. But you have to give up the junk of the world, which doesn't mean that much to you. It shouldn't mean that much to you. Uh-huh. Um, and in return, you get, um, you know, a life you've never dreamed about, you know. And I think you do. You've probably done this too. Like sometimes I think about like, you know, my life and the things I've done in my life. And I feel like, when I handed over my life to God, when I handed it over, career, relationships, everything. And I grew up in the church, but when I really understood, like I, you know, had a God moment and started understanding and I said, okay, God, I'm handing all this over to you. Yep. You know, I'm really bad at this. So I'm going to, you know, that's when my life took like this unexpected turn and all these things were happening and I would just pray and God's like, okay, you know, um, and it was, it was amazing. I had never considered, I mean, you know, getting a doctorate, I'm like, you know, or writing and speaking. I was, I was so scared to speak in front of people. As a uh-huh. kid. I was like mortified to speak in public, you know, it's so wild and exhilarating what God does when you just hand it, hand it over and say, all right, take it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Um, and that's the beautiful message about it. You know, he takes your arrogance and your, you know, your junk and he transforms it. Mm. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the theosis. When you give it to him and when you accept him into you, you become a new man as the chapter Mm -hmm. title is in mere Christianity. You become a new person and you've got that divinity within you. Right. And as we come to this, yeah, as we come to this last section, <laughs> you know, what is what does screw tape have to say about all of this? And honestly, it's <laughs> it's it's very simple. Get them to forget about that. <laughs> like uh-huh. you and I right now, we're having this conversation, our listeners are hearing it, and it's like, okay, perfect. Delight in others, <laughs> self-love, self-forgetfulness. Wonderful. Screw tape's like, well, w- let's make him forget that he's he's not called upon to assess his own talents, and let's fr- make him forget that. All of his talents, if he does focus on them, they're a gift. They're a gift from our Heavenly Father. And here's what Screwtape actually writes. The enemy will also try to render real in render real in the patient's mind a doctrine which they all profess, but find it difficult to bring home to their feelings. The doctrine that they did not create themselves, that their talents were given them, and that they might as well be proud of the color of their hair. But always <laughs> and by all methods... The enemy's aim will be to get the patient's mind off such questions. And yours, meaning now Wormwood's, will be to fix it on them. Even on his sins, the enemy does not want him to think too much 
Once they are repented, the sooner the man's the man turns his attention outward, the better the enemy is pleased. What a way to punch home that the end of that chapter of <sighs> Satan's trying to get you to focus on them. God, even your own sins. And I think of the great divorce uh, where mm-hmm. there's the person who murdered someone. And it's like, oh yeah, I did. And then just kind of moves on. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, how can you not like feel more and be <laughs> devastated? It's like you, you repent of it. Of course, you fall on your knees, say, God, I'm really sorry. And ask for his grace. Mm-hmm. And then you move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the great divorce because that sort of assembly of different souls um, have their own. Each one has their own struggle. Right. And, and their level of struggle is different. But and, and like you said, there's you know people who are like, well, yeah, I killed that guy. Yeah. I got that right or, yeah and then you have people who like um you know like the one lady who's um grieving over her son and she makes the idea of her son an idol really um and then there's the guy who says well i don't want to go yet i still have papers to write and i, I still want to write some famous articles you know um which is interesting because earlier in this very letter um where would they talk about the temple of fame right it's a temple mm-hmm. where people worship so fame is in itself uh, something that's, you know, worldly. And, and when uh, and he talks about false humility there, it's such, such great stuff in here. But um, the temple of fame is, is where humility dies, where, where your focus is totally on yourself. Uh, and that's where, you know, the wormwood wants to go. Mm-hmm. It's that turning on, <laughs> that it's turning is, towards yourself. Right. And that, that is, and it's difficult. You're, I mean, you're absolutely right. We've talked about this some already, but you know, it's uh, a lot of people struggle with humility, not because they're innately arrogant, um, but because they don't know where they land on that spectrum, right? Um, Between negligence and arrogance, where do I need to be satisfied? (laughs) You know, where, where do I need to go? And so um, that, like we've mentioned, like self-awareness and the recognition is important steps, you know, for Lewis and, and for scripture, for God, you know, to understanding your fallenness, but also your glory uh, in Christ. Very profound lesson that I had learned from Lewis, because sometimes as you, you'll get this as you're reading these things, you're trying to understand theology, you're trying to understand yourself, self-awareness, all of these things. We're getting a lot from, from Screwtape and Lewis. It can become tough because you're trying to ask yourself, all right, well, all right, now I've got plan A, B, C, D, Satan's going to do this. I know how to do this. You form a battle plan. And that's those are good things to know. But it can also be a little bit intimidating because it's like, well, if I do this, then Satan's going to do this. If I do this. And it's, I go back to when I read Lewis with, again, what we talked about in the beginning of theosis. Like the hope is when you allow Christ, that divinization, that deification to happen within you, it provides so much hope. And so I had to eventually get to a point where I stopped trying to will my way, intellect my way, understand my way into all of these truths to fight Satan and just said, let me focus on Christ and bringing him in. And I think of Peter on the water as when he when he wasn't focused on Christ, he started to sink. And it was only when he like looks up and reaches his hand out that he starts to um, be saved mm-hmm. again. And it's as, as listeners, you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, well, this is this could be kind of tough. If I if I'm humble, I have to worry about yeah. thinking I'm humble. And if I squash that, I have to worry about being prideful that I squash that. And if I do all that, I have to worry that Satan's going to make me start thinking less of myself than I'm supposed to. And I'm not going to, and I'm going to still be self-centered in a different way of self-pity or self-hatred. And it's like, oh my goodness, I've got to watch out for all of these whack-a-moles that are popping up and knock them down. And it's like, sometimes just like focus on Christ and let him come within you and he will do the rest. (laughs) 
Exactly. Right. And we you know, I mentioned self-righteousness earlier, which is, um, you know, we just need to take a big you know, black pen and mark through self. Yes. Right. And just leave righteousness there. Yes. Um, it's, there's nothing that we can do. Nothing, you know, no, no not by works. Right. Yep. Uh, uh, but by faith. And so there's nothing that we can do to earn what God has given us. Yep. And, and, you know, we, we talk about um, Tolkien's idea of subcreation. It's so interesting. He's using it in an artistic sense, but, you know, we are subcreated, right? And it's sort of acknowledging that God is the ultimate artist, mm-hmm. that he made all these things. And, and um, so loving him and loving us because he is in us, right, is an important aspect. Uh, of understanding, I think, God. And I, it wasn't until, you know, I went through periods where I was really bad, you know, down on myself. And it took me a while to understand, like, that's sinful, <laughs> you know, for me to be so down on myself or for me to be down on other people. Wow. You know, um, as a as a teacher, you know, you, you kind of see behaviors where people are suffering. And so they, you know, bully or they, you know, they, they talk about the emotional bank account, right? You have to withdraw from somebody to make a deposit on yourself because you are lacking something. So like, so that, yeah, like when you, when you are hurting, you hurt people, right? Unless you understand and are willing to say, whoa, 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 I'm, I'm hurting here instead of, you know, instead of making withdrawal from somebody, I need to work on myself. And a lot of times just focusing on, on Christ and what Christ has done uh, and not, you know, Again, he talks about, um, in, um, I think it was mere Christianity, he talks about, like, it's important to care what people think of you, but also not important to care what people think of you. <laughs> I think he, 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 I remember this part where he says, if you want to make a good impression, stop trying to make a good impression. Like, it's when, it's exactly. when you meet someone and you care way too much what they're thinking, and you try to make the good impression, you're not going to. Right. And he says, yeah, and, and he says the same about being original, right? If you want to be original, stop trying to be yep. original. Just, if you want to stop, you know, if you want to just, find yourself, stop looking for yourself and just give it to Christ. Right. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to find that spot, but um, way to br- way to hit me again a second time, by the way, uh, with just what you were saying here at the end. I mean, they, between that autobiographical and then p- pulling emotionally when you're hurting on someone else, I'm like, you're, you're making me literally. I'm just stunned. My brain is processing, thinking all the different oh, ways I might be doing that. <laughs> no, no. It's good. It's good. <laughs> No, self-examination is not bad in itself, right? Uh, uh, you know, the, like the act of self-examination. It's just when, you know, and again, I dealt with just as a female and as, you know, as just a young person, I dealt with a lot of negative self-talk and I had to mm-hmm. understand that, you know, I'm, I'm as God made me and you know, yes, I can improve and be a better person always, but I can't, you know, look at the raw material and be, you know, disappointed about it. Like I've got to work on it. You know, um, and, and, and that was, and it took me a while to come to that conclusion. It was hard work, mm-hmm. you know, it was hard work and me sort of having to check my brain and check my emotions and sort of understand, you know, this is, this is wormwood talking. This isn't, <laughs> yep. this isn't God. This is, yeah, this isn't, this is wormwood. Yeah. Point number three, you've said now I'm going to put my, <laughs> I'm going to walk away thinking about here. <laughs> <laughs> What was we, as we, uh, I love, I love that we, we got to apply this in so many ways at the end. And so let's bring this full circle with the, um, unscrewing screw tape section. 
So I just have a few here for our listeners. As, as Chris and I went through this and some truths that can be used and feel free to correct any of these, uh, Crystal. But for my do, I just said do love beauty and truth no matter who does it or where it comes from. Just see it, just see it and love it. Mm-hmm. For a don't, do not have a false humility that's not true. Mm-hmm. And another don't, do not think less of yourself but rather think of yourself less, which mm-hmm. I know is not a Lewis quote. So guys, don't don't worry. I know that is a, uh, I think, what is that, Rick Warren or something? Um, <laughs> but this is a perfect spot to apply that. <laughs> Every listener was just like, Here come the emails. <laughs> I, I wanted to stop those 20 emails that were about to come my way in text messages. But it really applies here. <laughs> I, I almost just blew up the entire Lewis community. <laughs> crisis averted there. So as, as we wrap this up, Crystal, where can, obviously listeners just heard the profound wisdom of you as we've gone through this letter and so much of the truth. And obviously I've heard a lot of it, even more of it since we've been doing this. So where can they learn more about you, essays, research, any of that stuff? I actually have a, a website. I blog and frequently there. You can check that out. It's um, www.crystalherd.com. Um, that's spelled C-R-Y. S-T-A-L-H-U-R-D um, there. I also um, do some work on various websites and um, I serve as reviews editor for Zen Zucht, the mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis Journal. So um, I've got a couple of uh, articles coming out there. I've written a couple articles for Illumination's Fantastic Magazine, um, which is uh, super fun. Uh, I wrote a short story back in the summer that was based on the Ransom Trilogy. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. So is there any place on social media they can find you? Yeah, on Facebook. Um, I'm not on there very much right now, but uh, love, you know, and uh, you can email me at thatlewislady at gmail.com. Always good to talk to folks about Lewis. Well, Crystal, thank you so much for joining us. This has been just a blessing to have you on. We're so appreciative when um, experts and scholars like yourself help inform us enthusiasts who don't know quite as much and provide your wisdom. So thank you so much for joining. And I know the listeners appreciate it too. Well, thank you so much. And don't be too down on yourself. <laughs> You're <Okay>. correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on the self-love here a little bit better. Uh, yes, yes. But listeners, <laughs> as always, uh, thank you for listening and thank you for all of your support in this. Uh, And please join us next time when we're going to be going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers.